Hello everyone and welcome to the Power of Music Thinking. My name is Christoph Zürn and this is the podcast for people with a musical heart and a wicked job. We're looking for stories, insights and tools from the big world of music to inspire leaders and followers to listen, tune, play and perform in whatever field you're operating. Today we're in Nashville, and we speak with Shane Shapiro, a globally recognized thought leader at the convergence of music, culture, and urban policy. Shane is the CEO of Sound Diplomacy, a global research and strategy consultancy, and he also leads the nonprofit Center for Music Ecosystems, which commissions research to help solve local, national, and international challenges using music as a tool. Shane has authored reports on the role of music in cities, tourism, the nighttime economy, real estate, and recovery, including the most extensive guide to music and the sustainable development goals in partnership with the United Nations. So we're talking about his brand new book, This Must Be the Place, How Music Can Make Your City Better, which is published in September. Unfortunately, there was a very poor hi-fi, so please excuse the quality, but the content is great. Hello, Shane. Welcome to The Power of Music Thinking. Hey, Christoph. Thanks for having me. Let's start with the first question. I ask every guest, what was your first sonic experience, album or recording that had an impact on you? Oh, that's a good question. Um... When I was a kid, I remember, I think I was seven or eight years old. I went to see Rush at uh, Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto. I had a family friend who was working for them at the time. Um, and I got to sit on the soundboard because uh, they were working in the, um, they were working sound and lights for the band. And I remember, uh, I don't really remember much about the show, but I do remember kind of just the noise and the lights and the experience um, and just sitting there kind of looking around, not really understanding what was happening, but just recognizing that it was something that I wanted more of in my life. Wow. Rush, that's the trio, right? They always played as a, uh, in the trio. Yeah. Yeah. The, the power trio to say. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of Canada's, you know, most famous bands to say the least. Yeah. Yeah, it was in Maple Leaf Gardens, uh, which was the uh, ice hockey, original ice hockey arena for the Toronto Maple Leafs, the, you know, the professional sports team in Toronto where I grew up. Um, it, it's a supermarket now. It's not an ice hockey rink, but um, <laughs> it, uh, it's, it was quite a legendary venue. Um, and yeah, it was really special. I, 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 I definitely remember, you know, I, I remember the sonic experience of it. Um, and everyone, you know, and they rush have pretty diehard fans. So I remember people being pretty excited about the show as well. Yeah. So, so what music does to people, not just the music itself, but also the effect of music and the impact uh, that it, uh, that it has, uh, Shane, will you just tell us a little bit who you are and what you do for a living? And then we can dive into something new. So you just, uh, published yeah. a book. 
and uh, so so we will talk a lot about it but it's good to to hear from yeah, how, how do you get there how do you got there yeah, well, I'm uh, again, uh, I'm Shane Shapiro. Uh, I founded a company called Sound Diplomacy. I now act as the chair of Sound Diplomacy. Um, we advise cities and governments all over the world and, and the private sector on music, culture, nighttime economy, uh, economic strategy and policy. So um, we've worked all over the world over the last 10 years. I launched a nonprofit two years ago called the Center for Music Ecosystems, which really is a, a research organization to help um, help use music to solve problems in communities. And I've been engaged in the kind of, you know, the middle of music and public policy or music and, and local policy for a long time, trying to increase the value that music can have in, uh, in the decisions we take about the places that we live in and what we spend money on and what we care about. And, um, and that's really where the work comes from. Um, Sound Diplomacy now does all sorts of things uh, outside of the music industry, wider creative economy. But um, I'm focused now on the nonprofit as well as the the book that came out uh, two weeks ago. Wow, so it's pretty pretty new. Maybe just one question for the Center of Music Ecosystems. That's already an interesting an interesting name. Because with music, normally, okay, it's a system. And if you start as a musician or as a pop musician, so you, you, you think about your performance. But actually, it's a real ecosystem. And can, can you give us one or two examples where you, where you just said, so to solve problems uh, with, uh, with music? Yeah, well, you know, music, uh, if you look at an ecosystem, right, everything that... Um, you know, everything that engages with music is part of the ecosystem. So the industry, education, its impact on our health and well-being, all the infrastructure that music requires, the physical spaces and places, the policies that govern music, whether it's everything from noise and environmental health straight through to economic policy. And often music is one of those things that's kind of separate from a lot of the ways that we govern places. Um, and I write in the book that, you know, if a if a city doesn't have a policy towards something, then it doesn't exist because you can't you can't establish a language to uh, engage with that thing and then engage with it in a way that makes sense for the community. So music tends to be something that gets governed by other things, whether it's building codes and, and housing policy that can impact music venues and other music spaces or environmental health policy that can um, you know, impact noise and sound and, and things like that. So if we think about a music ecosystem in a place, really that idea is that if we agree that it's an ecosystem, then it requires its own policy. And in order to develop a policy, it needs data, it needs evidence, it needs um, understanding. And that's really the Center for Music Ecosystems. You know, my goal is for every community in the world to have a music policy. Uh, that makes sense for them, regardless of the size of the place, regardless of where they are. Every community could be leveraging uh, music because music is everywhere, right? Right. So, you know, and I and I find it kind of ridiculous that we all don't kind of rally around music more because it's one of those things that very few people argue about. Like you may argue about different genres, but the value of music to the human condition. And the value of music to all of us as people, for the most part, not everyone, but for the most part, 
is wholly understood. So if we think about music more as an economy and an ecology, um, and we look at it as an ecosystem where, you know, if one part of it isn't working, then it impacts all the other parts, like any ecosystem, then I believe that we can use music to make our communities better. Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 it totally resonates with me. So, so that's why I also talk about the power of music thinking and not about the power of music because the power of music, everybody says, yeah, yeah I got it. But when I talk about the power of music thinking, then the question is, okay, what is it? And it's exactly what we can learn from music, where we see patterns in music uh, that we could easily um, transport or translate or transpose to another field to to better understand and how this field could uh, get better. Everything, I think, can be improved by music. Maybe not solely. Music is not the solution to anything other than I want to listen to music. Um, but it's part of the solution, right? And, you know, if we're looking at how to make our communities, you know, how to reduce antisocial behavior, how to um, tackle crime, obviously crime is a, you know, is a symptom, not a cause of things. But I believe that, you know, and it's been proven that after school music programs, you know, provide uh, things for kids to do when they're, if their parents have to work late. And when don't have things to do that they find their own things to do and unfortunately in a lot of communities that can be negative things i find if we take an intentional approach to music not just as a tool to teach music but as a tool to reduce antisocial behavior then we can see how music is a tool to make something else better Yeah, right. So you can see it from different perspectives. And I think that's something uh, where I, where your book is about. Um, this must be the place, um, how music can make your city better. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? Yeah, well, it, it, you know, I've been working on, I've been working in this stuff for nearly 10 years. Um, and we have a little saying uh, that everybody has the same unique problems. <laughs> you know, we've worked in... <laughs> We've worked in over a hundred places and, and more or less the core issues are very similar. They manifest themselves in different ways, but you know, there's this, the whole myth of the starving artist um, concept, for example, I understand that there are artists that aren't earning a living, but there are people in every sector that aren't earning a living. And I do believe that there's a, a victimization, so to speak, sometimes that doesn't reflect the value of the job of working in music or being a musician or other things like not valuing music in certain ways or seeing it as a nuisance. My book, uh, This Must Be the Place, How Music Can Make Your City Better, really, you know, it, it reflects 10 years of doing this kind of work. And I find that music tends to be the recipient of decisions made that impact music, but music never has a seat at the table. You know, why is that building built this way? Why is that neighborhood designed this way? Why is that public school? why do we invest in this sector and we don't invest in that sector and i you know if i had a seat at the table in a city that was looking at its long-term strategy that was saying okay well what are we going to invest in for the next 10 years what are we going to prioritize how are we going to attract people how are we going to retain people how are we going to increase tourism how are we going to make a place safer and healthier what would i say What would I argue to say that music needs to be a part of this, that music needs its own strategy, its own policy, its own budget, and why? And why I could prove a return on investment for whatever that would be. That's what the book is. The book is essentially 
telling the story of where I've worked, um, where it's worked and where it hasn't, some of the challenges that I faced, but also everything that I've learned about what I think makes the most sense based on experience and data and evidence, not on my opinion or what I like, um, of how music can be incorporated uh, intentionally into city planning, city policy, and city placemaking. And I wanted to do it in a way that was not hyper niche or academic. I wanted to write it in a way that anyone who was interested in music or cities uh, would understand. And I'm getting a lot of, oh, I never thought of it that way before, because it's not rocket science. <laughs> it's it, I think it's pretty straightforward stuff. We all love music. We all love culture. Why do we live in the places that we live in? Culture is a huge part of that. Yeah. So it's that kind of deliberate and intentional approach that took me four years to figure out, um, to put to paper. And uh, and that that's what the book is. That's interesting. Um, on the book, you, the, the book is endorsed by different people. So one is uh, Panos Panay, who was... I think in the first episode of the power of music thinking that they are mm -hmm. um, together with Michael and they were talking about their book, um, two, two beats ahead. And, yep. um, you also, uh, are endorsed by Richard Florida and maybe some people say, Hey, Richard Florida, I heard that name before. Um, he wrote the book, the rise of the creative class, I think in 2002. And there, if I still can remember, it was like, you have to, bring the creatives into the city you have to make um, uh, uh, cheaper cheaper um, rent and really give them also a space to develop and i think that's interesting that that he endorsed your book so what what, what is then the, the the musical part and also why music well yeah i, th I think what R richard florida says uh is you know for a city to be competitive it needs to recognize that the creative economy is an economy And that, you know, not all economic development involves a shovel <laughs> and uh, and a ribbon cutting. And, you know, I think, you know, he he obviously he's been doing this forever and, and he's a huge influence on me. I think, you know, music is one of those things that needs a little bit of its own thought process simply because of its complexity. Most people have no idea how music works. Genuinely, how it literally functions as an economy, how you get from point A to point B on the sales track, right? Because it's complicated because there's no single point of sale because one asset could be owned by a hundred people. You know, I think there were 73 writers on the last Beyonce album. Um, it's, and that's only on the writing side. <laughs> yeah. So music is quite a complex industry and it's designed to be complex, I believe. When you make something difficult to understand, you provide an excuse to not get involved with it. And but yet the end goal of the the end result of music is uniformly simple. It's you just listen to the song and you love the song or you don't. You go to the gig based on listening to the song. So I believe that sometimes we take for granted the economy of music because of its ubiquity. And also, because the economy of music is quite complicated, it's hard to say we need to invest in these jobs specifically or these skills or these forms of education to help maximize the potential impact music can have. I'm not saying that other creative sectors are less complicated. I, I just don't know anything about them. So 
music is my specialty. So I think it, to me is honors the work of Richard Florida and questions the concept in general, because if you obviously cities that have invested heavily or, or attracted the creative economy have also created significant inequality. Right. So we, you know, we, we have to be very, very careful about the planning policies and the and the economic policies in place to, you know, protect or honor or um, support um, those who are creating art and culture that is more important than just making money. Yeah, right. And so I, I, I write about this, you know, um, music the growth of music in economies like Nashville and Austin and cities like that obviously have uh, increased land value, increased house prices and made it more difficult for people to live in it. But we have enough data and evidence if we do to create better policies that could protect against some of that or at least address it. And, and cities are doing certain things. Um, so, you know, it's a reflection of the work that Rich Richard and, and many others have done over the years, but I wanted to do something specific to music because I wanted to kind of de, you know, decomplex the complex. And the book is written for non-music people as much as it's written for music people. It's not about the music industry. It's not. It's really about if you love music, just in general. I truly hope that you will understand the book. So yeah, absolutely. My dad, who's an accountant. He understands it. Yeah. So you know, it's uh, <laughs> that. That was that was my goal. Yeah, I think you you reached that goal. And for me, why I think it's so interesting is in uh, music thinking, I try to teach people something about music and then ask them how do how does this maybe resonate with with their business? Or I start with a hypothesis that the way how you listen to music is the way how you listen to your partner, your friends, your ecosystem, your city, your your mayor, what else? And I think th that analogy helps. The more we dive into music, then there's a moment that we say, hey, hang on. If music works like this, how would another um, another organization or, uh, or a city work like this? And I like very much in your book um, the example of um, Burlington place I've never heard before, but that's my uh, European uh, perspective. And yeah, can you tell us uh, uh, about about that that story? Because I, I, I like that very much because it doesn't only work for big cities like Nashville, it can also work for any city at all. Yeah, one of my favorite bands growing up, uh, I still love them, is, a, is an American band, like Jane Band, they're called, called Fish. They're very famous in North America, but they're not that well known in Europe. Uh, outside of North America, sorry. Um, they, you know, they've been around for 40 years now. Uh, they started in 19... They're, as, they're the same age as me. They started in 1983. Um, at the same time they started, Bernie Sanders was mayor of Burlington, Vermont. And <laughs> there were a number of policies that were in place to retain uh, and support student population. The University of Vermont is there. And and also it's cold. <laughs> so, you know, it's a place that's quite cold, like Scandinavia, I guess. It's, you know, it, it's got pretty brutal winters. Fish did a podcast a couple of years ago and they said that they could they think that they would have been able to be formed from another place. And I truly believe that's because of the, um, you know, the suite of 
happy accidents and deliberate interventions that existed at the time in Burlington. It's a city of 40,000 people. It's not a very big place. Um, but the cultural policies over the years, at least at that time, things have changed a bit now, but at that time were really advantageous to fostering creativity and allowing artists to be artists. So, you know, Ben and Sherry's is from there. Um, Burton Snowboards is from there. So it's not just music, but fish uh, are, are are hugely, hugely popular in North America. And, and you know, and, and they, to me, are a perfect example of the impact of place on an artist mm. and the impact of policy on an artist. I like that example very much. Um, and I dove uh, in your uh, book, you give the the idea um, or you reference a podcast. And I, I listened to that uh, to that podcast. And what was really funny for me, and I think there's the link between a city and also the music, because they talk about um, that they were doing festivals. And a festival is something where you need some kind of policy, some kind of rules, some kind of organization. It's the city is involved. And um, he's uh, one of the members talking about that they had a book, and I don't, uh, the, 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 I don't know if you 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 heard that one, but it's about the pattern language. It's by Christopher Alexander, and it's a, a book from architects. And uh, I think, hey, pattern, pattern—that's music—is made out of patterns, and I, I and I love that idea that um, that it's so easy to to bridge one field, let's say the city, the organization, the organization of a festival or anything else, with how musicians think. And he, in in the pattern, uh, uh, the pattern language, it's described every how does an entry should look like, and and anything else. So it's very detailed, and I love that they took this as a an example how they were doing ideation thinking about new stuff and i think that that pattern would also be interesting for let's say um if we um, may, maybe you can tell the top five or the, the top three things that uh, policymakers now would listen to the podcast from what should we do and we could also t uh, ask them the top five patterns or uh, what's in a name yeah. so what what should they um, what should they do? Where should they start in making um, their their city a better place uh, with the power of uh, music? Um, first, first, you need to build a data and evidence base for your music economy. You need to have a strategy. You need to know where everything is. Second is you need a human being responsible for that music economy. And they need to be in the Department of Economic Development, if possible rather than the cultural department or have the cultural department in the department of economic development because culture is economic development. Um, then you have to understand your music tourism and music heritage assets, but not at the expense of, you know, living culture, right? Celebrating heritage is great, but living culture is future heritage. Um, for it's understanding the regulations and the ordinances and the zoning and the licensing and recognizing where they can be improved. And fifth is recognizing that this is a process, that when you start a music strategy in a place, you're just starting a another thing that is going to go on hopefully forever. There's no end game here. It's just about uh, engaging with music in, in a deliberate, intentional way. As you said, if you pick up the trash on Monday, you're still going to pick it up the following Monday and the following Monday. It's the same thing with the music strategy. You have to just engage with it. And it is part of a city's governance strategy.
Cool. So really five strong, five strong learnings or five starting points to change. And I really like the 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 link between the culture in the economic or the economic in the culture. So we have to bridge these uh, these things. Otherwise, there are different silos and and fight uh, fight each other. Yeah, and the less special that music is in a community, usually the more valued it becomes over time. Music, music is appreciated, but it's also sometimes as exceptional. And when you treat something as exceptional, then you tend to not think of it as, as structurally. Is there anything that you say, okay, there's one heads up um, besides reading the book? And I will put it in the show notes. But is there something that you say, okay, this is something that you could have a different perspective on, for example? Well, just remember that music is one of the only things that we don't need to live, but we can't live without. And we we have to really think that, you know, music is not a natural resource. If we don't invest in it, it can go away. Uh, and if we really, truly care about the future of music as a solution uh, to all the challenges that we're facing, then we have to think about it differently in our communities. And I truly believe that the more that we invest in music, the more we can make the world better. Uh, and I hope that the book uh, helps and, and provides some support to do that. I'm totally with you on that part. And um, yeah, sorry for the bumpy for the bumpy line. All right. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Thank you so much. Sorry about the Okay. All the best. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate this because listening is one of the top leadership skills and I feel honored about this. It is my mission to find, create and share inspirations for meaningful collaboration based on music analogies. If you want to support this, please subscribe to the podcast give us a rating or write a review on iTunes or Spotify. And more inspirations can be found on musicthinking.com. We have a blog and you can download the Music Thinking Framework. And finally, I would love to hear your feedback. And if you need help with a business challenge, please reach out to me via email podcast at musicthinking.com. <laughs>